0: Most know Milwaukee, Wisconsin for its baseball and breweries. But recently, people are rediscovering a whole different side of the city. In March, it was announced that the 2020 Democratic National Convention will be held in Milwaukee. That announcement has generated renewed interest in the city and its largely forgotten socialist past. From 1910 to 1960, Milwaukee elected three socialist mayors, more than any other major American city. Their policies which centered on sanitation, parks, and education, became known as sewer socialism. But why, of all places, did socialism take root in Milwaukee? Some of the answers that historians have given have focused
1: on the large population of immigrants, especially from German-speaking parts of Europe, and the presence of a large uh, working-class and a booming industrial economy in Milwaukee
0: in, in the early 20th century. That's historian Ames McGuinness. He says those answers, while true, only tell half the story. What really sets Milwaukee apart from other industrial cities revolved around something called the Milwaukee Idea. Victor Berger, who is the first socialist elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in
1: 1910, and he and his allies look... Uh, particularly to the Social Democratic Party and the history of, of social democracy in Germany. And they adapt those ideas to the context of the United States. And they come up with a what, at least for a time, is a very successful political strategy uh, that Victor Berger dubs the Milwaukee idea. And the Milwaukee idea, he envisions as an alliance between labor unions and a specifically socialist working-class political party. Um, You know, there are other competing ideas of how to make a socialist revolution happen. This is Victor Berger's particular spin, and this proves for a time to be extraordinarily successful in Milwaukee and makes Milwaukee, at
0: least for a time, a model for socialists elsewhere in the United States. Well, well, this is one of the things that I've always found so incredible is that, you know, you have these moments of backlash against the socialist movement, right, after World War I, again during McCarthyism in the 1950s. You know, you have uh, in some ways this durability of socialism in Milwaukee, and, and I'm curious, is this attributed to the Milwaukee plan that Berger initially conceives of, or are there other elements that allow Milwaukee's socialist element to be so durable across these years? The repression of the Wilson administration
1: against socialists and other critics of of U.S. entry into World War I, it it hits socialists hard across the board in the United States. Because Milwaukee had a relatively large German-American population, many of whom were critical or at least unsympathetic to U.S. entry into World War I, this in the short term actually increases German-American support for the socialists. In 1917, 18, 19, uh, okay. in part as a reaction. So, in other words, you have German Americans who didn't necessarily regard themselves as socialists, uh, but are drawn to the party be- precisely because of its position on the war. Uh, so that's, I think, that's one reason. Mm. I think another factor to consider, it, really important, is socialist discomfort with and then opposition to the Bolshevik Revolution. Mm-hmm. The Socialist Party and the and the Communist Party are in conflict, in competition with one another uh, Mm. in the United States after 1917. And although both socialists and communists are red-baited, the fact that most socialists and certainly socialist leaders in Milwaukee are highly critical of of the Soviet Union and then anti-Stalinists, that to to a certain extent shields them from the full wrath of Joseph McCarthy
0: no, I mean, the, the, these, are, these are shades of gray that are obviously, you know, very foreign to people thinking only from, like, the early 21st century, where we tend to paint communism and socialism with the same broad brush. Most people, you know, even before the 1950s, have a hard time getting their mind around these different gradations on the left. Um, but there's even finer points. I mean, there's something in Milwaukee, as I understand it, called sewer socialism. Now, what is that exactly, and where did that term come from? The term sewer socialism began as
1: a, an insult or a condescending remark by another famous socialist from the early 20th century, Morris Hilquitt, who derided Daniel Hone, uh, who was Milwaukee's second socialist mayor, essentially being overly practical, not sufficiently concerned with a larger project of revolution. And he has a famous quotation, Hilquitt does, where he says, I do not belong to the Daniel Hone group to whom socialism consists Of merely providing clean sewers of Mm -hmm. of Milwaukee so this started out as an insult but then some socialists in Milwaukee really embraced this term and they say that's right that's who we are we care about improving the lives of working-class people and that means among other things you know giving them clean water parks
0: higher wages etc Give me a sense of, of some of those improvements, because just, just knowing how, how local politics work, right? you don't get to be mayor and certainly not stay mayor unless you can deliver goods and services to your constituency. My lo- local politics are very unforgiving where that's concerned. So I have to imagine that there are a, a number of really concrete accomplishments that Milwaukee socialist mayors could point to. What might those be? Milwaukee socialists initially came in as clean government activists. And
1: They didn't just promise to clean up government, but they instituted policies that actually ensured that government would be cleaner in the future. You know, things that in retrospect might seem kind of simple, but at the time were revolutionary, Uh, like creating an inventory of city property. Going to the University of Wisconsin and getting the advice of economists there like John Common, you know, how do we introduce modern accounting how do, uh,
0: into municipal governments? How do we, in a sense, open the books to the people? I just I just want to be sure I understand you, you have the socialists befriending the economists as part of their, their governing strategy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the socialists really rely on... The University
1: of Wisconsin, including experts who are not socialists, uh, but they, mm. they reach out beyond the party for expertise, again, to make corruption less possible. Right. One of the things that socialists wanted to do was to build infrastructure, and that means public investment, right. and that means people's tax dollars. And people aren't going to be willing to make that investment if they can't be sure that that money isn't going to what it's supposed to be going. So accounting is revolutionary from socialist perspective. And that's one of the reasons why they're able to build this broader electoral support. The same is true with debt. You know, This often surprises people and the present to hear that socialists also promised and succeeded in minimizing municipal debt and mm. also even in lowering taxes. Well, how do they do this? In part, it was through reducing corruption, making sure that the money went where it was supposed to go rather than people's pockets. But their interest in minimizing municipal debt actually also comes from a socialist critique. They're very concerned about the influence of what we would now call the financial industry Mm -hmm. uh, on on municipal politics. And they see that one of the ways in which banks wield influence over public policy is through financing public works through debt, high-interest debt, uh, mm-hmm. to the private sector. And so what socialists in Milwaukee say is, no, actually, the way to free ourselves from banks is through what they call pay-as-you-go government. We're not going to spend any more on public works than we get in revenue. And they're remarkably successful at this. You know, Milwaukee city government remains solvent, doesn't go into bankruptcy, even in the darkest moments of the Great Depression. Ames,
0: how would you account for the fact that Milwaukee's socialist history, as rich as it's been, has been largely forgotten to folks living outside of that city?
1: You know, one reason is because of red baiting and red scare. You know, too often self-described liberals in the United States have been in denial about the socialist roots of some of their most important and courageous and valuable ideas and they haven't wanted to acknowledge that history for fear of being branded reds uh, themselves. And, And sadly, by running away from that history, they have in a sense cut themselves off and cut our country off from this larger global history and conversation about the roots of inequality in our world. And you know what? It hasn't gotten them very much because any socialist who thought that they could shield themselves by red-baiting, by calling themselves liberals, you know, was soon to be disappointed to find out that the term liberal could be just as viciously stigmatized as the (laughs) term. Uh, Socialist. (laughs) Yeah, so at, at a certain point, People on the left, no matter how they think of themselves, have to step back and think, what do we do with our keywords? Do we keep on running away from them and and letting our Mm. opponents paint us into corner after corner? Or do we sit back and say, you know what? Actually, own it. (laughs) You know, I may not be a socialist, but I owe a debt to this history, and um, if if more liberals and more people on the left uh, would be willing, even if they're not socialists, to kind of stick up for the richness of our political vocabulary, there might be, at the very least, more competition. We'd have a richer political debate in in, in this country than, than
0: we have right now. Ames McGinnis is a history professor at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee.